is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. We're going to carry on and plan the sequel, because let's face it, baby, these days, you got to have a sequel. Yeah! Welcome back to Micro Queers. It's your bi-weekly queer horror short roundup, and I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and we're discussing Nicholas Verso's The Last Time I Saw Richard. Indeed, yes. And I'll do a quick logline in case people haven't had a chance to watch this, so... Please do! (laughs) Yeah, because it's a bit of a longer one, so... It is. So this is about Jonah, who is played by Toby Wallace, and he is a proud loner who finds himself bonding with his new roommate, Richard, played by Cody Fern, at a mental health clinic for teens. That's the very brief version. I will say that um, it it took me about half of this short's runtime to be like, oh, that's Cody Fern. (laughs) Because I was like, this kid looks so familiar, but it's a young Cody Fern. Listeners, if you don't know, he is from both American Crime Story, The Assassination of Gianni Versace, and American Horror Story Apocalypse? I think that's what the one, yeah, that's the one he was in. Yes, yeah, he was basically the Antichrist in that one. Yeah, um, which this one's a bit of a different role, but uh, you are leaving out that this is a period piece of sorts. This is set in 1995. Oh, that would make sense, yeah. I mean, my, my factoid for this is that this is also a proof of concept for a feature film, Trace, but the feature film is a sequel, and it's one that we can cover in the future. It's Boys in Trees. Oh, so the sequel's like out. Oh, yeah. It came out in 2016. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, that's cool. Well, yeah. I mean, what did you think of this one, Joe? <laughs> uh, this is interesting. I had read a couple of reviews of this in advance because um, obviously Cody Fern has exploded in popularity. Mm-hmm. So I had had a couple of people reach out and say, hey, you should cover this because he's in the short. It's really quite good. People are very obsessed with him in a sexual fashion, I've gathered. So like, if you look at Letterboxd, you'll see that a lot of the reviews are like, oh my god, Cody Byrne, like, stick it in me kind of deal. Which is unfortunate (laughs) because I feel like, not because he's not attractive and not because, you know, you shouldn't thirst after hot actors, but like this short really demands a lot more than just being an object for somebody's thirst trap. And I don't know. I I quite like it. It is slow. It is moody. But yeah, I I was a big fan. No, I was going to say it is slow, but I also like, I mean, I'm glad you told me there's a sequel. Although I, I, is Cody Fern in the sequel? He is not. The other boy is. Okay. Yeah. The one that plays Jonah. Um, Mm -hmm. Because uh, I I actually wanted more time with them before we get to the inevitable ending, which I'm sure will rub some people the wrong way. But I think that's where the 1995 time period comes into play here. I mean, what do we make of this place? Like, is this is it just a generalized mental health facility? Because in the beginning, one of the higher ups refers to everyone there as victims. They're all victims of some sort. Yeah, it's interesting because this is a mixed gender facility. Mm -hmm. And obviously, it's a little bit loose in terms of like, I I don't know, I got like a bit of a girl interrupted vibe from it where you're like, oh, uh, the patients are allowed to sort of do what they will. And I thought it was very interesting that we don't 
ever see any adults. We only ever hear them, like, or we see a stand-up, but we never see anybody's faces in this. So for me, I I was very much like, oh, this is a children's world. Like, the teenagers are kind of off to fend for themselves, almost like A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Well, no, so I was thinking that when I was watching it, and I was like, oh, but that's like such, and this is not me going after you, but it's like such a lazy thing for me to say. I was like, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, because is it one of those things where it's like, yeah, anytime there's young kids on their own in a facility like this or new mutants i guess you know it's like mm-hmm. is it, it oh it's like nightmare on elm street 3 but i, I the comparisons are apt so that's why we make them oh for sure and i think for me that's kind of where it stops and ends with the comparisons like i think this short has a lot of other more interesting things on its mind and um i did find a couple of interviews with the director nick verso uh who is queer by the way uh they prefer not to identify their sexuality explicitly but they do acknowledge that they're queer and they said that they're attracted to stories about boys and masculinity because they found that it's a topic that really doesn't get explored or critically examined in film very often. So like the vulnerability, the emotionality. And for me, that's what really comes through in this. It's two boys who are trying to connect and they're both damaged in some way. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call them victims. No, no. I mean, this is, well, this is seven years ago, but it's also like, you know, it might have been an intentional use of the word because we tend to see the word survivors more often. But did you, because this was less, I mean, again, maybe I'm wrong here, but less explicitly queer than I thought it was going to be going into it. And when you say that he wanted to deal with, you know, masculinity and that kind of um, vulnerability in that sense, do you read these boys as queer then? Okay, so that is a fascinating question, because when you read this, it always comes up on lists of queer horror shorts. And mm-hmm. people often fixate on, oh, okay, at one point, Jonah scares off these shadow demons and gets into bed with Richard. And people always immediately jump to, oh, okay, so these boys are in love. And I think you absolutely can read it that way. But I think there's also a really interesting reading about just male friendship and the inability to bond with somebody, particularly at this age, right? Like we don't often think of teen boys being able to connect with each other in a vulnerable sense. So I like that you can read it both ways. I, you know, we're queer. So I'm usually like, oh, maybe they're forging some kind of intimacy. I I read it as queer. But again, if you're looking at it, it's really more so that the adults, like the woman who walks in on them and goes, oop, like, like she, it's like she walked in on, you know, some like thing that she shouldn't have seen. That's what reads more queer to me than either one of their reactions to it. But then you have, okay, well, what are these demons? Because this is a place where every person who's there, like their demons are actually there. Like we have literal demons chasing them. But so we know that Jonah's issue is that he's a cutter, but it also stems from a history of some kind of trauma, but we don't know what it is. So we're left to fill in those gaps. Yeah, and particularly at the end of the short where when Jonah is being released and he's arguing that he needs to stay in order to protect Richard and this unseen therapist or psychologist says, okay, well, Richard has really significant problems. You know, he's going to be here for a while. He's going to be heavily medicated. And you're just thinking, oh, it's a fascinating choice to not even attempt to address what it is that Richard is suffering from. And I I, th- I think that's why when we get to our question later or soon, like about like, do I want to see a full length feature of this is because I do. And granted, I don't know if those things would come out in a feature length film because the whole idea may be don't reveal those things because we want the viewer 
to fill in the gap themselves. But I, at first I was like, okay, so is this some kind of like conversion place? But it's not because we have the bit in the beginning with the girl who has an eating disorder and mm. Jonah is being a real dick, <laughs> teasing That's her about it. Yeah, it was one of those things where um, I was prepared to come into this be like, yeah, this kid's a, ho- a huge prick. But then it's like, obviously, he's that way because of his like of the trauma he's experienced in his past. Like he's acting out on his PTSD, basically. So I, I felt that might be insensitive <laughs> to-, to come in with that. <laughs> I mean, I think both can be true. He is absolutely acting like a shithead throughout a large portion of this short. And I Mm -hmm. think part of that is that it is a defense mechanism. It's his coping strategy. I did actually do a little bit of research just because I I know something about cutting, but I don't actually know much. And it's very rare that you see it depicted uh, in mainstream media as a male issue, right? We often see this in female characters. Yeah. So we're going to link to this in the show notes, but um, I found a really interesting TED talk from a Canadian psychology professor named Dr. Stephen Lewis. And he's an international expert on the subject of self-harm or self-injury. And uh, his TED talk is fascinating because it's titled Skeletons in the Closet, which as queer people, that's automatically like, oh, okay, they're talking about the the phrase. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So in this case, this is actually his confessional uh, revelation. Like most TED Talks, it's about 19 minutes long. And it's him actually detailing his own um, struggles with cutting as a teenager. And what's interesting is he goes into it and talks about some some of the statistics. It's relatively common in teens. One in five will experience cutting or burning, although obviously that number is smaller in men compared to women. But uh, it's often brought about from intense bullying that can be a trigger for self-harm. So uh, that, that in particular hmm. was Dr. Lewis's experience. But I thought that was fascinating because, of course, as queer people, again, we associate bullying as like part of our, our trauma or our experience. Identities. Of, yeah. But really, uh, cutting, if people don't know, it's often about a temporary relief from pain and depression, but then it has like its own kind of catch 22 spiral where the more you do it, the more ashamed you become and the more you worry about getting discovered, which then encourages you to be an isolationist and not to engage with other people. So that's really what we're seeing in Jonah, right? Like he's, he's keeping people away for fear of being discovered and for not wanting to have to engage with his issues. And like, I, I don't have much experience with cutting either. And I mean, like, I don't really, I, I, I have known people in my past, like specifically like in the middle school era that have gone through cutting experiences. But the line that he gives in the film where it's like, you, you know you're alive when the wind burns or something like that. It's such a visual way to paint what that feels like, like what, so I appreciated that just from an outsider's perspective, but it's also like chilling. Oh yeah. And I really do think that the short does a good job of highlighting just how alone these kids are, right? Not just because they're not being supervised by adults, like even in this health institute or hospital, wherever they are. But I, I was quite taken with the moments where when Jonah goes back to the high school, we just like the only interactions that we see is him getting pushed into lockers and then like breaking down in this bathroom and resorting mm-hmm. back to cutting himself. And I thought it was an interesting 
metaphor or comparison where when he tries to stand up for Richard against one of those shadow creatures, he actually also gets scratched right where he himself has been cutting. So like the trauma of the supernatural blends with his own actual trauma. Yeah, I I, I also thought that was interesting. I Again, focusing on that ending, it's just... Again, like I said earlier, I think it's going to rub people the wrong way, but I also think it rings true for what happens to a lot of people, um, specifically teenagers, when they go through trauma and they're looking for help from adults and they don't get the help don't they need it. because, yeah, exactly. So, I, yeah, it's, um again, I really enjoyed this short. It's just, it's not exactly a happy one. <laughs> No, no, this is a, a really grim one. But um, I do wonder, because I know it is a little bit longer, we had a, a bit more of an opportunity to mm-hmm. see some of the, the visuals or like uh, what Nick Verso can deliver. So I'm interested if there was any like visual elements that you wanted to touch on. I mean, I just, I, I, it, may, it may be obvious to say, but I actually think the creatures themselves are fantastic looking. Like, I don't know what the budget for this is or was, but... They looked a lot better for being, I mean, outside of the close-up of the one's eye that we get when it's, like, directly on top of Cody Fern. I was just surprised at how good the CGI looked. Uh, there's nothing really, I don't think it's any, I don't know, significant, there's nothing significantly visual about any of them, I think. They're just smoky demon things, but I was just, I was appreciative of how they looked. <laughs> Yeah, I I kind of like that they could have been read as either teenagers or children, like the idea that you're kind of carrying these creatures as baggage. Um, so I think, again, it, it offers you some potential readings of Richard without being explicit about what he's suffering from. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing, right? Because like, I, I, I kept wanting to read him as queer and those were his demons. Like that's that's what I that's what I'm walking away with. This is like he is gay. And specifically, that's why. Jonah jumps to the whole like, oh, is this because, and he doesn't get to finish his sentence, but it's like, is this because we were in bed together? Which again goes into the whole thing with conversion therapy where it's like, yeah, but they also put all these queer kids like in rooms together. <laughs> yeah, but don't act on them. You know, be be around others who are just like you, but don't act on it. Now, of course, it could be something much, much darker, but I, I 100% read it as like, oh no, he's been sent there to be cured of his gayness. Hmm, interesting. I think one of the things I like about this, as we said, it is a little bit longer, like this is a Mm -hmm. nearly 22 minute short. Um, I think that there's enough here. And it's so well paced. And like, I think the acting from the two leads is fantastic. Like it's really detailed and nuanced. I, I love that it's this long, but I still feel like I want to know more. And I want that taster. Um, Like there's still so much more story to be told. I mean, be, be it like before the end of the film or after the end of the film, like I want this to expand to at least 90 minutes. Like, I mean, again, we, we already have basically an act here. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I mean, so if this were a full length feature, I mean, again, we're, we're talking about this not knowing about Boys and Trees and what that really entails. But would you envision this more as, oh, no, we're going to from beginning to end, like that is what the how the film begins and ends, but we're just going to fill in the middle or is the ending of the short like the end of act one, the end of act two? Well, I'm going to be that asshole who's going to tell you I've seen Boys and Trees and I love oh. it. So I'm not going <laughs> to speculate, but I'd be interested to hear what you think. I feel like it ends where the short ends. That That's me personally. I mean, again, if we're talking about a sequel of Boys and Trees, obviously it's going to take place after this. Although maybe that's also like me being presumptuous, but if this were being made into a film on its own with this title with Richard, um, I I do view the ending as 
the ending of the film, just because of the overall tone and mood of the piece. Okay, so you you would want to see the story the story leading up to this, and then keep the ending the same. Mm, I'm not saying I want to see that. I'm <laughs> saying that's how I would expect it to go. Like, right. I, okay. I, I would want to see more aftermath of like, okay, or even if it's like uh, where Jonah's like dealing with. I guess we follow Jonah. Uh, supposedly, R- Richard is left in the institution, and we don't know what happens to him. I feel like I, I'm putting in a lot of um, like qualifiers or <laughs> I'm presuming suicide, to be honest. I'm presuming suicide. Oh. With Richard. Okay. Oh. Or, or like, I mean, again, like the, the demons give me a very martyrsy kind of feel where it's like, okay, like it's like his in martyrs. It was more like trauma slash guilt over leaving someone behind. And but like, it's very much like, I think these things are going to kill him. And whether it is like he, he kills himself or it looks like he kills himself because again, you can read the demons as actual beings or just metaphorical, like not really there. I don't really know, but yeah, I kind of view it then as us following Jonah and seeing like how, how he deals with a not being able to help his friend not being able to help his friend, but also be how he copes with his own like trauma and cutting moving forward. So I would like to see it with a love story ending where Jonah actually (laughs) like breaks back in and rescues Richard and they run away. I mean, see, again, I would love to see that. I just don't think that's what we get. But maybe maybe you have something else to tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, excitingly enough, so I can tell you that uh, we will be able to cover the the film version at a later date at some point. it, it's in keeping with the same tone and it follows Jonah two years later. Interestingly enough, uh, Toby Wallace actually plays a different character in that film because he had gotten too old to play Jonah at that point. So there's a different actor playing Jonah and oh. it doesn't actually address Richard or follow anything from this storyline at all. So it does involve Jonah being bullied by a group of boys, but it takes place over Halloween night and he tries to reconnect with a boy who has been bullying him who he used to be friends with not exactly where i thought it was gonna go i also i mean again i know why we have a recasting situation here but i also don't know how i feel about it after having seen the short yeah it it was very weird because i knew i recognized the actor because of course i've seen the film and i was like Mm -hmm. wait does he play joan in the film and then i had to look it up and it was like oh no okay i understand why this had to happen but it was it's very you're like, oh, wait, my brain just broke a little bit. Well, okay. Well, I mean, obviously, we'll be checking that out at some point in the future. Listeners, though, let us know what you thought of the last time I saw Richard, because I think there's a lot to unpack here that's worth discussing. Yeah, absolutely. If you have theories, if you have uh, ideas or alternative readings, let us know. Please do. And on that note, we can cross out the last time I saw Richard. And cross out micro queers. <laughs> Free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.